Today on the podcast, I'm very happy to be joined by someone who made an album that would honestly probably make my Desert Island list. And that's saying a lot, considering he's going up against literally every artist I've ever heard. Ali Sarijlu is a songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, producer, singer, clever marketer, and graphic and video artist who releases his work under the name Heart Pharmacy. All right, thanks for joining me, Ali. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah. So you know a little bit about the podcast and what I like to do, and really it started from me kind of wondering if other musicians you know, that I know who uh, are really incredible have similar experiences that I've had. So sure. let's, let's get into your background. Um, you know, when did you start playing music and when did you know, like, when did you start to really identify as a musician? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of friends of mine growing up, they always had the older brother kind of deal, feeding them music and kind of inspiring them in a way. Mine was a little different as far as my, you know, I have an older sister that's three years older than me. And then I have an older brother who's three years. So we're all three years apart. My older brother's six years older than me. So as far as like siblings and stuff, it was like all three of us had our own kind of group. So I actually never hung out really like with my brother and sister, but it was more my, one of my friends, uh, his name's Sam Van Dyken. Shout out to Sam. Hey, Sam. So him and I, he, he was like a, I've, I've known him since elementary school mm-hmm. and uh, kind of like starting out junior high-ish, I'd always go over to his house and we got really got into skateboarding. So, you know, every time we'd skateboard, he'd kind of put on some jams or like bring the stereo out to the driveway and we'd skate these little rails that we'd make and just different things kind of at his, his house or his parents' house. But he actually had an older brother who was really into music and he'd visit California often. And so Sam's older brother, Nick, he goes to California on a trip. I'm not sure exactly what for, but when he comes back, he brings back um, an album of Jimmy Eat Worlds. Mm -hmm. Like one of their very first, it was like this demo album that is like super hard to... Arizona band. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, they're from Mesa, right? But he played, he played a track off this Jimmy... and, And given Vince at this time, I was like, not into music at all. Like I never even like put on a song or anything. Like I wasn't into music one single bit. Like it was something like it wasn't a go-to at all for me. Uh, skateboarding was, but not necessarily music. And so, you know, we were younger. We were not, I was having like a sleepover at his house and he plays this one song it's from Jimmy Eat World. It's called, it's like a demo version of Your New Aesthetic, I think is what it is. It's called Your New Aesthetic Demo. Okay. And he plays this song like while we're while we're about to go to sleep for the night. And that song, like just that one song, while I'm like kind of sitting on my, you know, laying on my back trying to fall asleep, I'm listening to the song and it just does it for me. I'm just like, this is awesome. What is this? It was just so mellow and inspiring. And like, I was hooked after that one song. And so after that, I was like, oh, do you have anything else? And a little bit later down the road, he plays... Jimmy E. World's like first album, which is called Static Prevails. And and he plays another song off that, which is like the last song on that album. It's number 12. It's called um, Anderson Mesa, I think. And he plays that and it's just so inspiring sounding to me. And I just, I get instantly hooked off, the, off this Jimmy Eat World. And then to kind of, I guess, like balance it out in a way, as far as like the music taste, Every time we're skating, he also introduced me to Blink-182 Dude Ranch. Right. Kind of the pop, you know, rock and more rock and uh, punk stuff. California pop punk. Yeah. And so the mixture of that emo rock and then like the popier punk, that's what just did it for me. I was I was instantly hooked. Every time we'd skateboard, I'd be like, hey, bring out the stereo, put like, damn it on. <laughs> you know, I was so into that damn it song by Blink. I don't know if you guys had this where you were at, Vince, but there's this channel called The Box. I don't know if you remember it, but like, it was this like, kind of like off the grid channel that if you kind of like moved your antenna around, you'd sometimes get it. It was called The Box and it was just music videos. So you could call in and you could pay a dollar and they'd play your music video. They like put it in the lineup, just like a jukebox. Yeah. And I would literally, I'd sit at my parents' house like all day long and just wait for this damn it music video to come on. <laughs> like every day I just wait for that music video to come on. I was obsessed with that song. 
And yeah, that's kind of how it all started really with the music. Now, were you at that point, were you like, I want to know how to do this or you were just enjoying the music as a listener? No, not at all. I was totally just enjoying it as a listener. I was way into skateboarding. So it really like pumped my drive to like grab a skateboard and go like, you know, jump little curbs or like, you know, try to get better at skateboarding. But no, to answer your question, never was I like in like from that time, like, oh, I want to start playing guitar or any of that stuff. I just I just loved playing the music and listening to it. Yeah. Was guitar your first instrument? Yeah, yeah. So guitar is my first instrument. And then how, how does that love of the music that you picked up? Sure. When does it lead to you picking up a guitar? Yeah, so so a little bit later down the road, and given this was kind of more like elementary school with Sam and like discovering it around like sixth grade, seventh grade-ish, and then come like eighth grade, that's when I'm like, man, I kind of want to start like playing music or trying it. So I would go to, I had another friend who's like, uh, I, I think he was from... He was, he was this Asian kid, and Vince, this kid was this. His name was Jason Ho, and if he's listening, that this is gonna bring back a lot of memories. But he had like these strict Asian parents. He was the smartest kid at the school, like at our junior high. He was like, I mean, this kid was a genius. Like he was, he was reading like like his parents were making him read like encyclopedia and like finish it by the night, like that kind of hardcore like studying. Like this kid was. I mean, everyone like was asking him questions. I'd ask him to do like some of my math homework before class, like <laughs> that kind of genius this kid was. But he would play the guitar and sometimes I'd go to his house like once in a while and just hang out. And he knew how to play the guitar. So I was like, man, I would love to own a guitar and like even know a couple things that, you know, this kid knows how to play. So I'll never forget. And this is when I didn't even own a guitar. And I asked him one day at his house, I was like, hey, wish you, you want to start a band? Like, you play guitar, like, I'll buy a mic. I'll ask my mom to buy me a mic and like, well, we should start a band. He's like, all right. And so I begged my mom like the next day to buy me just a microphone, a stand and an amp, right? And so we went to this like, it was called Music Go Round here in like um, Fort Union area here in Sandy, Utah. And she bought me a microphone, a stand and like this tiny little guitar amp no guitar, right? And I was just singing out of a guitar amp for, for like a year, maybe trying to play in this band with Jason. Um, you know, we got a drummer that was like in our same grade and like a bass player that was my friend, Ken Snow. And we started this little junior high band. And sometimes I'd ask Jason to show me some guitar stuff, right? I still didn't own a guitar just on his guitar. I'm like, hey, can you can you teach me how to play What's My Age Again by Blink-182? That's like the first song someone actually like showed me how to try to play and pick. Mm -hmm. And I learned how to play What's My Age Again. And then after that, my dad actually bought me my first guitar, which is interesting because he's always hated me doing the music thing. Really? My mom's been very supportive. Yeah, but my dad's hated it. He's like, why are you doing this? You're never going to get anywhere. What do you think you're Michael Jackson type stuff? <laughs> I've heard it all from him. He actually bought me a green kind of Fender looking court guitar that was like similar to the one Tom DeLonge played. I don't know if you've seen it. It has like this during uh, one of his albums he played. Um, it's in that music video, All the Small Things, that green guitar that he plays. So, he, yeah. so my dad bought me a court guitar that looks like that. And then I started just sitting in my room for hours and literally just by ear teaching myself. So what do you think made your dad be supportive in that one instance when all these other times he, he wasn't? <laughs> Great question. Great question. I don't know. I don't, I, I think he thought like, hey, I'm going to buy this for him. It's going to be a little hobby, a little phase, and then, you know, he'll move on to other things. <laughs> but it wasn't the case. Like I would just sit five, six hours a day in my room and play music. And what I do is I'd go on online and I'd print. So like, I'd play damn it and I'd print off like physically print off the sheets of tablature mm -hmm. and just see where they saying to put my fingers and stuff. And I just spent hours until I got it. So I've never had like a real, I mean, Jason Ho, he's been the only person that's really showed me like a lick or like some type of lesson. So no, no formal mm -mm, lessons never. or training. It was, you're all self-taught. Yeah. It's funny thing, you know, how many parents out there are probably going, well, he's still not over it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Still hasn't gotten over that phase. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think once my dad realized like I was like super, super into it and I was like wanted to buy more stuff and like invest more money into it, that's when he kind of went sour with it. Like he just didn't think it was a viable, you know, pathway or like a good pathway for me to go as far as like 
creating my own life, right? Right, right. Well, because your parents want you to be safe and have money. and Right, right, which is understandable. And, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. Once I did get super heavy into it and I was like, you know, two, three albums in, I did kind of get what he was talking about. Like, it's tough, right? To make, yeah. to make actual like a living or get a constant good looking paycheck out of it, yeah. um, per se. So in that sense, I mean, he's hundred percent right. But, you know, I've, I've talked to him a lot recently about the whole situation actually, and just let him know that just for psyche alone, it's like priceless to me. You know what I mean? For, for me not losing my mind and having some sort of balance with other things that I do in my life, it's like, it's priceless. Yeah, there's an adjustment you go through, I think, at a certain point where you're like, okay, this might not be, you know, I might not be able to do this full time and make a living at it. Right. But I still need it, even though that's disappointing. Exactly. And you kind of adjust your perception on that. Right, right. You start to get those things like your parents were, <laughs> you know, what they were talking about. Sure. But at the time, nah, it doesn't sit so well with you, you know? It just, yeah, it doesn't. It's like, why wouldn't you support something I like love doing, you know? Right. And you're good at. Yeah, it's like... be different if you never showed improvement or, you know. Right, right. Oh, yeah. It's funny, too, Vince. Like, we were at a little family get-together, like, last week, and I, um, someone mentioned, they're like, hey, how's your, like, new... Do you have any, like, new stuff? Like, one of my, you know, family friends, one of our family friends was asking, and um, so I played on my new stuff, and this is stuff I haven't even released yet, stuff I'm working on right now. And they're like, wow, this is so good. And they were just mind-blown where, I mean, that was the first time, like, Kind of the family, friends, and like family were like, actually, like I could tell they were like, wow, this is actually really good, you know? It's a good feeling, right? It is, yeah. And so, and so I dug up some of my like eighth grade band stuff that we had recorded and I, sh I played them that too and I compared it for them and they were like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's like night and day. It's funny. You're braver than I am. That takes guts. Yeah. So, elementary school band. You and Jason, Jason Ho, was it? Yeah. Yeah. It was like eighth grade-ish, like junior high band with Jason Ho, Ken Snow, and Clayton Anderson was the drummer. How long does that band last? How many bands do you have after that? What is it? Like? Yeah. So, um, so that band lasts a couple years, but we go through a set of drummers. We go through like three different drummers, right? I don't know why Clayton stopped playing. Um, I think he just wasn't really into it maybe at the time. So we got another drummer. And he was better. He's the one we, we recorded this little demo that I just told you that I played for him for the family just to show him like, you know, back in the day stuff. And then, yeah, I think Jason kind of dispersed after a while, too. He's kind of just wanted to focus on college and high school and his studies. And so after I got going with the guitar, then I, I kind of took over and started my own thing with it was pretty much me and Ken, like the bass player. We were best friends. We'd hang out every single day. So him and I were kind of the main starters of the band or who really wanted to play all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so we jam at Ken's house and his, bless his parents, <laughs> they put up with, I mean, God bless his mom. Um, <laughs> she, she would sometimes like, I mean, we'd hear this pounding from upstairs, like with their feet, like they're just, and then at some points, like, oh, God bless her, his sisters too, man. I mean, after a while, they, I mean, you'd hear like just them yelling, like, shut up. Like they'd have it, had it to their wits end after a while with us just jamming this like pretend, like Blink 182 cover songs all day long. But uh, yeah, after that, it was just, just a three piece. It was me, Ken, and um, Clayton for a while. Um, just us three jamming. And then after that, we kind of broke up. I don't, I really can't even remember how that band just disbanded. We just stopped playing. I think like Ken got a girlfriend too. And it was kind of <laughs> over after that. He just never wanted to play. It was always just me like calling everyone, like, hey, you guys want to jam? Like, oh no. Like after a while, Ken would make excuses. Like he was embarrassed to like, not want to jam and so he'd be like oh yeah i gotta go to like to the furniture store and like pick out furniture with my family and then like anyway <laughs> so he'd feed me stuff and no one ever wanted to jam other than me that's the thing like i've been so passionate about music like for so long that it was always me like hitting people up like can you jam can you jam like almost every day that's all i wanted to do ever yeah yeah um so i don't really i, I think i think everyone just lost interest and i kind of went off and yeah, I think I just stopped playing with that band and played on my own for a while. And then 
Then I joined a really serious band called IPX. And it's funny because Ken, who's my ba- who's my bass player in that band, and we'd still, you know, we're still friends. Um, he w- one day at this party, we're at this party at one of my buddies' houses, Johnny Israelson, and he tells me about this drummer. Oh, that's what happened. So we keep going through these drummers, Vince, right? And then we're we just had it. We're like, man, we need to find a just a good drummer who wants to jam, who's never like you know schedule all the you know the, the whole band thing. It's it's hard to to keep band going with schedules and if they're interested and interest level and all that stuff. So here Ken and I are trying to really just lock down a solid drummer who we can trust, like really grow with and like really, you know, try to try to take the band far. And so at this party, Ken tells me about, and I think Pondu was at that party too. And he's like, dude, I don't know if you've seen this kid Pondu or met him yet, but he's incredible, dude. I went and saw their band play and he was just going off about this Pondu kid and his drum chops, right? So I was like, man, I got to meet this kid. So I actually meet him at that party and we start talking about music and our tastes are like exactly the same. I'm just like, this is weird. Like this kid is awesome. I'm just like stoked on this new kid Pondu that I meet at this party, right? (laughs) And like a week later, Ken calls me and he's like, hey, these guys are jamming. Like their band IPX is jamming downtown. You want to go see them? I was like, hell yeah. So I go downtown with Ken and I watch this four piece band called IPX Jam. And I am just blown away. I'm just like, dang, this is the best punk band I've ever seen live, like this close in front of me in Utah. That's not like signed. Yeah. They're incredible. Like, how is this band not signed? I was just, I mean, I was blown away, especially by Pondu. I was like, holy crap, this kid's like, as good as Travis Barker. No joke, dude. Yeah. Like as good as Travis Barker. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, a lot of people probably argue with me over that one. But if you saw this kid, I mean, you'd be like at least pretty comparable, right? And so I'm sitting on that couch watching them play. And to myself, I'm thinking this whole time, I'm like, I got to get in this. I got to, I got to be in this band. I have to be, I have to squeeze myself into this band somehow. <laughs> like I, this is my band. I have to be in this band. <laughs> so... So I guess what I, and it's crazy because I'm friends with Skybo like to this day, but like I kind of stole his spot. Was he the singer? One of their guitar players. Oh, guitar player. Okay. I guess he was the like one that didn't want to, out of that band, you know, every band I think has one of these people who's like the problem, like player, like doesn't want to jam as much, like schedule always conflicts type deal. Half checked out, kind of, yeah. So I think that was Skyler at that time, one of the guitar players. And so what I do is I try to steal them. I try to steal Skybo and the drummer Pondu from this IPX to start my own band called 12 Seasons. And I'm successful at it. So they come and start, they make a new band with me. So me and Skyler are the new two guitar players. Pondu's the drummer and Ken's the bass player. And it's called 12 Seasons. We actually start getting really good right? Really good to where the other guitar player and the bass player, Demas and Dave from IPX, they start hating me. (laughs) They're like, screw this alley kid. Who is this kid you guys brought down? Like, it's like stealing our bandmates. Like, these guys don't even want to jam with us anymore. They just want to go jam with alley 12 seasons. Like, so these two just hate me. They're like, screw this kid. So long story short, one day it clicks to Dave and Demas. They're like, this kid wants to jam all the time. Why don't we steal Ali and have him be the new guitar player for IPX? <laughs> that's what happened, dude. They called me one day and they're like, would you want to come jam with IPX? I was like, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened at 12 Seasons? Did did that just disband or was it? 12 Seasons? No, that was still a thing. And then I then I am in both bands. <laughs> Then now I'm in IPX and in Skylar still even jamming with me in 12 seasons. <laughs> and so 12 seasons, I can't remember that kind of just melted away because I got way into IPX and I was all about it. It's all I wanted to do is actually jam with IPX because it was best drummer, the best. And then sorry, Ken Snow, Dave was way better than Ken. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it was like mission accomplished for me. I was like, I wanted to get slide myself into this band. I did it. I love it. <laughs> I want to jam every day now with these guys. And that's where I really started getting good at the guitar. Thanks to Demas Sopropto, the other guitar player in IPX. So I started hanging out with him a ton. He taught me so many little things on the guitar, little licks. He taught me how to play octaves. 
didn't even know what those were. So he taught me a ton of electric guitar stuff. And, you know, other than that, it was all just observation. Like I loved listening to music so much that every time I drive anywhere, it was blasting in my car. And all I do is just analyze the mix. I'd pick out the mix in my head. And this is before I got into any recording engineering stuff, right? I didn't know this single thing about recording. But this IPX band really changed my life. I mean, they that's what really took me to the next level as far as like, you know, I mean, like our band practices, Vince, they were like military status after a while. Like if someone messed up, we'd be like, okay, start over. Like if someone messed one little note up or one like didn't play it like good, that part... We had to start over and make sure like we nailed the song start to finish without any mess ups. Like that's what I really liked about it because it meshed with like me growing up as a soccer player and like, you know, that kind of stuff is the same thing in sports too. Like everybody had discipline, everybody was focused. Right. Discipline and all that stuff. So like pauses had to be super quiet, like dead and tight and all that kind of stuff. I loved about how these guys did things, you know? Yeah. And so that part of it really got me like disciplined and making sure like the music that I make going forward is just super clean and like the best I can make it. So these were all up to that point, those bands were all pop punk kind of bands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were all listening to the kind of like the drive through records type bands and we were really into that stuff. And then like the screamo type stuff came into play and we got a little bit into that too, like Under Oath and The Used. They were from here at Utah and we got into the kind of the screamo area too for a while. So IPX actually, we entered into an X96 radio contest to open for the used, right? At the time, I worked at Southtown Mall at Journey's Shoe Store, and I was slanging shoes one day, and I get a call from Dave Roberts, my bass player, and he's like, yeah, dude, so they just called me from X96, and we won the contest out of 856 bands. Wow. To open for the used. So I'm freaking out. So all that work paid off. Yeah, I tell my boss, I'm like, I got to go, dude. Sorry. (laughs) This happened. Can I go? (laughs) So he's like, sure, lets me go home. And I jump in my car and I just instantly start blasting the used. And I'm like, because this is at the McKay Event Center. Like, it's like, like, almost like, you know, like you're playing at the Delta Center, you know, or the uh, Energy Solutions Arena, like with the opening for this huge band. It was a big deal. Right. Long story short with that. Demas and Pondu, the guitar and bass player, they're brothers from Indonesia, actually. And they have to go back to their country to get their visas renewed at the like the exact same time. Or like they're actually there getting their re- visas renewed while we win this contest and they can't come back in time to play the show. So we have to forfeit it. You're kidding. I swear. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that was a huge lost opportunity for that band. Man. But we were really good. Like we were really, really good. Did you have a following? Yeah. Yeah, we had, I mean, we had we had rented out a room, like a rehearsal room that we pay X amount of dollars for every month. And that thing was packed. Every night we'd go, just go practice, we'd just get multiple phone calls from people like, hey, can we just come chill and watch you guys? So just our practices every night, packed room, just a packed room full of people like watching us play. It was awesome. That makes me really depressed to hear that because I've never had that experience, but yeah, <laughs> it yeah. sounds awesome. It was, it was cool. So from that, I mean, you've been on your own and doing everything since I've known you. So where does that transition happen when you go from, I'm a part of a band to I'm my own thing? Yeah. So after that, I was just over it, dude. I was, I was over the trying to make the band thing work. Because I, I had been trying to make the band thing work for so long. I mean, from eighth grade all the way till, you know, it's like six to eight years I'm trying to make some type of band work and jam with people, you know, which is awesome, right? Even to this day, if I could be as like into the stuff I'm doing now and do it with a full band that's always available, like absolutely, I'd, I'd go for that. But after a while, you know, and they couldn't come back in time, um, and then like one of them like decided to even move to Indonesia, the drummer Pondu. So after a while, I was just like, you know what? I don't really see the, the future because the other people in the band, they're not like as like zoned in on. no. Like I had mindset as like, there's no other option. We're going to do this. We're going to get huge signed. This is what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. Like that was my, I didn't care about anything else. I was just like, this is what I want to do forever. But not everyone else was on that same wavelength. And so I just one day was like, you know what? I write most of these songs anyway. 
I write most of the riffs. Um, I can play the bass. I can play the drums. I can pick apart any song in my head. You put it on, I can tell you how they, I mean, now I can. I mean, back in the day, I couldn't really tell you how they recorded it and that kind of stuff. But I could pick out every single instrument in the songs that I liked when I'd listen to them. And I'd be like, I can play all these instruments myself. I might not be like super, super, super great at the bass or the drums, but I can play the beats that I need to, to make the stuff that's in my head that I want. So I was just like, I'm just going to go solo. And I think it was like 2004, 2005-ish, I just kind of started doing my first, like writing acoustic songs to put together a full-length album to be like my solo project. And actually, this whole time, I was jamming in IPX and all those guys. They had a friend named Ryan Bowd, who's a producer. That's all he'd do. He'd be in his parents' basement just recording and tracking and he's recording and engineering and mixing his own album, right? His own, his own solo album. Mm-hmm. So I started hanging out with him a lot. And that's how I faded from the IPX band punk rock stuff into, he was kind of more, more like a recording studio mentor. I, I, I mean, I stepped foot into one of his studios one day and I was like, oh, this is heaven. <laughs> I could be in here all day long. And yeah, he kind of became like my recording studio kind of mentor in a way. And once I had those songs written, oh, and he would actually, Ryan would work with Skybo, who's the person that I took the guitar player's place, right? That I took. So, and God bless his soul, Skybo, like I stole the kid's spot, like all this stuff. And we're still like really good friends to this day, which is great. So he doesn't hate me, which is great. I actually, and it's interesting because I stole Skybo's spot and then I went solo and I asked him to engineer my se- so solo sessions for me because he was like going to recording school and school for it. And he was friends with Ryan too. So Ryan would let him come work in the studio. So I, yeah, I called Skybo one day and I'm like, Hey dude, I got a bunch of song, like acoustic songs. I know you've been going to like recording school forever and you're always working in Ryan's studio once in a while. Like, can I come record these with you? Like, I'll pay you whatever you want. Like no big deal. Like, I just want a really good album. And so, yeah, he's like, yeah, man. So, you know, Ryan gave us his studio time and I went in there and Skylar tracked all my, yeah, Skylar actually tracked every song. Was this the first Heart Pharmacy album? The first Heart Pharmacy album. Yeah. Natural Selection. So Skybo tracks all of this album and then he mixes some of it. And then Ryan kind of steps in at the very end and like, really like helps him pull it together and makes it yeah yeah you know give suggestions to us oh maybe you guys should do this or try doing this on the, or like he'd jump in and he'd do work some magic and i was like wow just blown away i mean this kid's on he's recording for like warner brothers music chapel and stuff so he doesn't he doesn't mess around and, and ryan actually he worked for a library i think i told you about it vince when we were in san diego it's called amphibia zoo entertainment group to mm-hmm, yeah. prestigiously so music licensing library yeah exactly mm-hmm. and so after he ryan kind of put together his own like studio he went and started working with them and doing all their library stuff so yeah that's kind of how the solo thing started you know i released the first album and then that's when i ran in after i released that first album vince the natural selection the first lp for heart pharmacy mm-hmm. that's when i like ran into dead ends with like promoting it getting people looking at it having people you know come to the shows like i just there was no networking options here in utah i felt like that i could really make some sort of impact or like get this album to go anywhere you know well and you went from being in a band where people just showed up because they wanted to be part of the scene and hang out right to now it's just you exactly and how do you get people to come or, or yeah, listen? Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, super tough. I mean, luckily I had my other friends that were, you know, in my bands before. Like, they didn't completely abandon me, right, when I went solo. So, like, you know, huge shout out to them. Like, they helped me a lot with, like, getting the word out and promotion and all that stuff. But still, like, at the end of the day, like, you know, I'd get home from a show or something. I'd be like, man, this just, it's got to be more than this. You know, I've got to got got to get something more than this. And so, yeah, I just like after I would see like the same people at the bars and the same bars and going out and you see, you know, running the same groups and clicks and crowds, it was just over it. I was like, I need a little change. So that's when I pulled the trigger on moving to San Diego because my sister was out there and started living out there with her. 
And that's when the San Diego thing started. A couple of things I've always thought were interesting. And one of them you, you sort of answered already because I always thought you stood out from the crowd of musicians that that I ran into because your sound was so good. Thanks, man. And rather than tinkering at home and kind of learning recording on your own, you outsourced it pretty much to people who knew what they were doing. Right. And just said, I'm going to make the songs and then I'm going to hire someone to get me great sounds. And I'm going to produce it and make sure that it sounds like I want. Exactly. And I always thought that set you apart because it was like other people would have these home kind of recordings and then you would be like pro sound. Yeah. So it wasn't, it sounds like it wasn't as much a conscious decision as opportunity because you knew people and you had friends that were into recording. Yeah. I mean, you know, kind of back to Ryan Bowd and the producer, you know, the one that worked for Amphibia Zoo and, and, and Warner Brothers and that kind of thing. Watching his discipline as he worked in like Pro Tools and like how fast he did stuff and just, I mean, he knew... He knew exactly where to go to get the exact sound he wanted in, that was in his head. Like, you know, exactly the place, the, the, the plug-in, the whatever, right? And that was just so cool to me to see how, like, passionate he was about it. And, like, he was just so good at it that it was, it was just very cool to see him even... I mean, I'd just sit right next to... Like, I'd call him sometimes, Vince. I'd be like, hey, dude, can I just come watch you mix today? And I'd just go sit next to him. On a day, like, I I didn't record nothing. Like, I would just go and sit and watch what he would do. Yeah. Because I was like, I need to be as good or better than this kid. Have you, like, fully transitioned to recording your own stuff now? Or are you still? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm totally on my own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need any producer. Like, I know how to. And, and now I'm at that point where I'm the same way. I know exactly where to go to get that sound in my head. I don't just, I don't settle for a sound. I have to get the one that my brain wants. Right. You know, and so I know exactly what you're talking about because I, yeah, I know the process of like you hear something in your head and you search through a hundred sounds mm-hmm. and 200 effects, mm-hmm. and you just can't get it. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, I'm done. I'm, yeah, I'm not even doing this anymore today. There goes that eight hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Biggest in- inspiration killer ever. Right. But just the way he approached his thing, it really inspired me to not cut corners with my sound, right? And like, I was always into like, because I knew where Blink-182 recorded. I knew they were from San Diego, super into that band. So I like looked up where they recorded their albums and stuff. And one of them was Signature Sound, Mm -hmm. which you're familiar with. Great studio in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, man, that'd be cool if I can go actually record to that studio. So like I said, dude, I just, I've never... Ever since I went solo, I've never cut corners with with quality of of recording, sound, writing. Like I've always taken it to the fullest. And yeah, I mean, it was like a dream come true recording. I mean, I recorded Drive in the same room they recorded like Boxcar Racer in. You know, so that was awesome. Yeah, it's a great feeling. Just that kind of stuff. It just inspires me. Like my third album, X Tablet, I recorded it in the studio that like Pinback records in. You know, like I played out of pinbacks amp on the guitar parts for for x tablet you know so just stuff like that like working with you know i worked with uh you know the 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 engineer i worked with um on x tablet to to mix it a little bit you know it's brad lee from uh the the album leaf you know so just i really want to go after like and meet people in like bands that i really like liked and people that inspired me and stuff like i really dug into trying to network with these people and go to the best studios. You know, I ended up, you know, I recorded a lot of uh, drive at Studio West as well in San Diego, which is way nice studio. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've always just had that don't cut corners on your stuff mentality. You talked about, you know, when you kind of went solo and you were in the studio and then you realized, oh, it's, it's harder than I thought to get people to listen and come out to shows. Mm-hmm. Is that where your drive to promote came from? Because you are hands down the best music promoter of your own music that I've ever seen. And I would add that it's like some musicians like me, I'll finish a song and then I'll send it out to people and I'll be like, Hey, here's a song that I finished. Hope you like it. (laughs) And some people will be like, Hey, I finished the song, you know, send me some feedback. And you're like, this song is so dope. I just made it. It's badass. Listen to this part. Like I've never heard somebody who is their own hype man like you are. And to me, it's the coolest thing because it's like, 
man, this guy really believes in his music. And I, I'm sometimes like kind of, you know, insecure about it or. Yeah, it's hard. Sure. Sure. So where does that drive to, you know, promote and your kind of strategy and outlook come from? Sure. Um, marketing has been kind of an interest of mine for a while. Um, and it's really like flourished from just analyzing different things. Like, you know, what kind of advertisements are on TV, the radio, like I'm a very analytical person. I'm always analyzing how someone's doing something to see if I can possibly mimic it or do it myself. So it's funny you ask that question because Heart Pharmacy, the name, the whole reason I didn't go with Ali Sarijlu as the artist, you know, kind of like, you know, like John Mayer, right? John Mayer is John Mayer. He's the artist, John Mayer. It's his name. It's his first and last name. The reason I didn't go with Ali Sarijlu is exactly what you to the question you're just asking me, I literally made sure I made a, like a band name for myself because I knew I would be the one who would have to market it. And it'd be really awkward if I was sitting next to someone at the gate at the airport, for example. And I'm like, hey, have you heard of Ali Sarijlu? Or, or, you know, like, it's just weird, right? Like, oh, have you heard of the artist Ali Sarijlu? And it's like, it's me. And they're like, is that you? <laughs> Yeah, it's me. Well, yeah. Why didn't you just say, why didn't you hear, my, <laughs> why haven't you heard my music, right? So, like, I, I, I thought about it in a sense as like, well, if I did something, like, if I went with a band name like Heart Pharmacy, I'd be like, oh, hey, you should check out this new band. They're called Heart Pharmacy. So good. Like, I'm stuck on them. I've been playing them on repeat all day. You should check them out, <laughs> right? Much easier to, like, it was, it was a way for me to camouflage myself and, like, promote it as if it was a band that I really liked, you know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. And so that's the main reason why I went with a band name and not just like my name for, for my like solo artist project. And you went all in on, on X tablet. You distributed the album in a USB drive that looked like a pill from a pharmacy uh -huh. in a container that looked like, you know, that was a, a pill container with a prescription and everything on it. Right. I mean, that's pretty next level. Yeah, yeah. I was really proud of myself when I came up with that. I actually was, I was going to San Diego City College at the time too. I was sitting in algebra class, no joke. And it was like, the instructor was like, you know, X plus two, X this, X that, right? It's algebra, right? A lot of X's, Y's and stuff, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden it just clicked to me because I already had the like pill concept in mind, but the name came to me. I was like, X, and it's a tablet. I'm going to call it X tablet. And that all goes hand in hand with, as I'm growing up, I'm teaching myself Adobe Premiere Pro for video editing, Illustrator, Photoshop. I'm trying to learn as many Adobe programs as I can. First, because I just love computers and like, I'm kind of a nerd that way. But I'm, an, I'm just, I'm a naturally artsy person. Like I just, I like to try to create stuff out of nothing, you know? And so the whole time I'm playing music and I'm telling you all these stories, I'm, I'm teaching myself those programs just here and there. Right. And so I think the confident, like the confidence I had of me knowing those programs and what I can do with them. That's when I was like, man, I'm going to go into illustrator. I'm going to make the coolest little label for this, for this uh, pill bottle and wrap it around and have a little window where you can see the pill bottle inside. And then really like, you know, because Illustrator's all vector. And so you can get really tiny with stuff and really detailed and that kind of stuff. And so I was like, man, if I can make a really cool marketing thing that's different, it'll help catch attention and that kind of thing. And so it really all sparked from that, that uh, math class that I'd sit in. But it's interesting because it's really, it's not just a music project. It's an art project, you know, a graphic art project. Right. It's a design project. Right. It's a marketing exercise. Like Exactly. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. You know, you're doing everything, all that yourself. Yeah. 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 And uh, the cool thing is now I've like established that as my kind of like my main mark. So every album LP I release after this, that's how it's going to come out physically is... Is like that. It's just going to look different on each one. So your early sound on uh, Natural Selection, you know, was very acoustic guitar focused with with some electronic elements and some tunes, you know, were electronic beats. Or, mm -hmm. And there's a point after a couple albums where you switch to kind of more of a fully electronic sound. Right. And you do it at a really high level. So, you know, some artists, when they kind of change their their genre or their paradigm, it's they can go through a period where they're still, you know, maybe it's a little softer and then they find their groove. Right. So what was, what was behind that change? So 
I mean, to this day, I still think to myself, I'm like, man, look, I have a whole studio full of expensive gears, probably a hundred plus grand worth of gear in here that I own now. But man, all I really need is this one acoustic guitar. <laughs> Come to that conclusion. Because that's really that's that's really the way I like stuck my foundation as far as like songwriting. I would just write the song start to finish on one acoustic guitar, right? And then I knew that I could wrap around anything else that I wanted on that. If I had that one solid track, then I can wrap everything around it really nicely, right? And so watching Ryan Bowd, the producer I've been talking about, watching him navigate his way through native instruments, virtual instruments, German company called Native Instruments, you're familiar with it. I just I got really hooked on this Native Instruments uh, company, right? It was like, man, every every plugin or whatever, all the stuff he's pulling up to mix this album is just it's all Native Instruments. This is awesome. Like, what is this? And I didn't know much about it, and then I realized that Native Instruments had this huge sound library that you could buy called Complete, and I was like, oh, that's what Ryan's using to do a lot of this stuff. Yeah, which which has everything. I mean, pianos, exotic instruments, beats, everything you could think of. It, I mean, it's got like. Let's just say this. You don't need anything else if you buy complete. Like, you're set, right? And that goes back That goes back again to not cutting corners, right? Other friends that I'd have that, like, dabble with, like, electronic stuff or, like, made beats, right? They're like, oh, I made this new beat. They'd, like, rip it all off, off the, like, the sounds off the internet and, like, put, put something together, right? I did not want to go that route. I'm like, look, I'm way serious into this stuff. I love it. It's all I ever want to do. I'm just going to save up my money, pay for it, buy it, and then I can go berserk on it every day if I want, right? It's just worth it to me. So that's what I did. I went and I bought this thing called Native Instruments Machine, little drum machine. It's the first one that came out by Native Instruments called the MK1 in San Diego, Went to Guitar Center and I dropped 650 on that thing and it changed my life forever. So after that, I was like, and, and to answer your question, Vince, one of the main reasons I did went to the electronic stuff is first, because it just looked just fun because I saw so many other people using it at all these fancy studios that I'd go to. So I was like, I need to have that. But second, every time I drive my car... Vince, for years, ever since I picked up a guitar all the way to today, every time I drive, I'd air drum while I was driving, <laughs> right? With my fingers. I'd always be like with the song that's playing, right? And I try to be right on the metronome with the song, like while I'm driving for years, right? Every time I'd sit in the car. So I was like, man, if I could turn these little finger tappings that I'm so good at on an actual thing that has sounds, yeah, sign me up. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what gave me the confidence. But here's another thing. I didn't just go buy Native Instruments Machine one day, right? I studied that Native Instruments Machine for six to eight months. Every day I'd pull up YouTube videos and I'd learn all of it before I even went and bought it. So the day I got it, I knew exactly how to use it. That's crazy. I made like three songs the first day I bought it. Like they were really good. I was like, dang, this is dope. Well, and that was my kind of my question there or sub question was, you know, you went from a high level doing kind of the acoustic focused music with some electronic elements to really high level electronic stuff. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you didn't necessarily feel constrained, but you wanted to be able to do more. And you were as soon as, you know, you were preparing the whole time. As soon as you got your hands on the tools you needed, right. you're ready to go. Right, right. Because to me, it was like, man, it'd be way, way more worth it if I can just get the knowledge on lockdown, that was more important to me is, is to, is to, is to, I was like, look, I need to know what these knobs and switches do. I need to know what they do. If I turn this, how is that going to affect the signal? Right? So I, I took the time. I was like, like, I didn't want to just be like, treat myself as some spoiled kid. And like, because I got 650 and go buy it, like, and look cool or whatever. Right? Like, I was like, this is useless to me if I don't know what these buttons do. Right? It's just a waste of money. It's just going to sit there and I'm going to look at it every day. Right, So it was really important to me to know how to mold a signal. And so, I mean, once I got this thing and the stuff, I mean, the, 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 it's, like a, it's literally like a studio on your lap. Yeah. Like, I mean, you don't need anything else. Like, I can pull anything into this thing. I mean, it really is like you don't even need a recording studio anymore. I could just have this 
and then maybe just go do my vocals in a nice studio, mix it, and I'm done. You know? Yeah. And then and then the other main reason I went the electronic route and I'm kind of mixing the two worlds now is because it's endless possibilities with electronic stuff. It's it's any sound that I want to pull in and then tweak and mold it to fit my acoustic stuff if I want. Or just it's just endless possibilities where if I kind of stayed acoustic, it'd kind of be like I'd be putting acoustic albums out. Like it just got boring to me, the acoustic stuff. It's don't get me wrong, I love acoustic guitar. I mean, it's one of my favorite things ever, but I just I got bored of it. I got bored. I was like, this is cool, but um and, and it's crazy because like when I jam in those like punk bands and like IPX, the whole time the sound that I wanted to make the whole time, no matter what band I played with, was the stuff I'm making right now that I just barely have got to now. And I have the knowledge to get to the exact sound that was in my head like 10 years ago. I'm just getting to that sound now. It's a long way from the sound that you were making in that band. So. Oh, such a long way. I mean, but you know, if you listen to your early stuff, you can hear the rhythm. Like you can hear the rhythm in your acoustic guitar playing. Right. And, and it makes, at least to me as a listener, it makes sense why you'd be so good at the rhythmic elements of the music you make now is because it's all in that right hand on your acoustic. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're absolutely right, dude. Yeah, you nailed it on the nose because I am I am in no way like those shred masters like with their left hand. They're like, you know, doing these crazy like shredding like solos and stuff. That's not me. I'm more like, I just like putting together cool sounding riffs. Like they don't have to sound all like super difficult and like music theory. And I don't care about that stuff, you know? Well, and also like you have some of the elements like that you do an electronic where you might carry a, you might drone a sound on, you know, through the whole song right? that carries a theme or adds a sense of space. You were doing that early in your acoustic stuff too, which is some of the acoustic parts that just repeated. And I was, and at that time, I would actually have to communicate that with Ryan or Skylar to have them do it because I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to use the virtual instruments. I didn't even know what native instruments was. I didn't know how to use Pro Tools, any of that stuff. So I had that sounds in my head and I knew what I wanted and what I liked, but I didn't know how to do it myself. So I had to convey that to the producer to kind of fit in and wrap around my acoustic stuff. But now I know how to do all of it, you know. What about your vocal sound? Because you've always kind of had... Um, you know, with a few exceptions, you use a sort of a rich doubled Mm -hmm. or multiple Mm -hmm. vocal sound. Yeah. Was that something you just loved? And you as a producer went, you know, when you were working with those engineers said, this is the sound I want, or how did that come about? That's a great question. That's a really good question. Um, yeah, the, the vocals, it's weird, Vince, because that is a really good question. I actually, I didn't pay as much attention to my vocals as I did, like, I didn't know exactly what I wanted with my vocals as much as I did with the music at that time when I was working with other producers. So, like, I kind of just made sure I sang the best that I could, and I sang it exactly how I... I think one thing that helped with the earlier stuff, like the acoustic stuff, is, I, like, like I told you before, I would write the whole song start to finish and sing it in one take and play it perfectly, right, every single time. I play it, I play it perfectly on the guitar and the vocals. And so a lot of those acoustic songs, I actually had, you know, a mic. Actually, no, I didn't. No, I'm wrong. I actually did, I did all of it separately. I I recorded all the guitar parts first with no vocals, just the click. But I had the song down so well that I'd play the entire song start to finish in one take. Like, I wouldn't do little pieces of the acoustic. Like, it was, like when you listen to them, like, Natural Selection or Drive, all those are one takes. Wow. The guitar parts are all one takes. And then I would take, uh, yeah, and then I'd do the vocals kind of like, you know, with the upright or standing up. But as far as mixing it, Vince, that was all the producers. I actually kind of started doing my own type of, I'm actually still trying to find my own, as as my own producer now, I'm still trying to find my like secret formula for my vocals, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I still haven't found them, which which is cool. Cause it's allowing me to like do like other creative stuff with the vocals now. Like I might want to like on some of these new songs, like I'm doing like a little, like, like a distorted part. And do you know what I mean? Like, it's not all like butterflies and beautiful skies, like clear voice or anything. Like I want to do weird stuff with it now, you know? Right. Same creativity you're applying to the rhythms. You're going to go to town with on the vocals. Right. 
lyrically, one thing that I noticed in listening to your music is that a lot of your lyrics capture like a specific, I, I guess very close to a specific moment, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a feeling you had in a moment, whereas some other writers will deal with kind of bigger scope in a song or a story. Yeah. And to me, yours and what I love about your stuff is that it creates a mood. And sometimes that mood is just like a feeling you had in, in one moment in a day, like on chemistry, you're talking about wanting to talk to a girl or talking to a girl and you're thinking about producing while you're talking to this girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. I think you're the only person who's like, like got that right. Like that's like, (laughs) that's exactly right. It's funny. And then like maybe someday is like, there's all these possibilities out there. The world is your oyster, but you know, today I'm, I'm not feeling it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. You know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do follow those grand ambitions tomorrow. Those are like just very intimate little things. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe you could talk about your approach to lyrics and how you capture those moments. Oh, man, it's tough. It really is the toughest part of my writing process. Lyrics and singing. It really is very difficult for me. I am in no way, like I in no way consider myself like a like a vocalist or like a really good singer at all. But yeah, you're right. I think I just. Like chemistry, for example, I literally recalled a time like 15 years ago that I was at this bar in in Utah called Green Street that's like not even, no longer even a bar. And that was really a memory. Like I'm singing about a memory from that long ago, like after high school days when you'd go to like the club or whatever with your friends and stuff, Green Street. And uh yeah, I just talked about like kind of like walking up to the bar, like looking at a girl at the other side of the bar. And then just, just because every time I'd be in social gatherings, all I'd think about is music stuff. <laughs> like, like, seriously, I'd, I'll be at a party and just zone out and like not even and just think about like what I want to do on the song tomorrow in the mix, like in the studio. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, so it was just. Yeah, I literally recalled that memory of that time I was at that bar and like I was thinking of the Avalon 737, <laughs> <laughs> right. the knobs on it um, while I'm talking to this girl. And it's funny because I I wrote that whole song in my little tiny studio in San Diego that I'd rent out. And I wrote all, like all the vocal part. And it's crazy, Vince. And I know you know this too, probably with your own music. I won't be surprised. All the great songs or at least the lyrics or even just the songs with the lyrics that I write, the really good ones, like a chemistry or a Sammy or the ones that I personally think are like my stronger songs, they're all written in like a day, dude. Mm-hmm. Maybe like two days, I write the whole thing. Done. That was easy. Those are in- interesting to me because I feel like those are happening in you mm-hmm. for like months before that. Yeah. 
you know? Totally. And then it's just a matter, it's just a time when you actually sit down, but you've had these things like right. kind of circling around inside and then it just comes out. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. Like as days go by and you're not touching any musical instruments or anything, you're mentally like, yeah, I'm mentally wireframing everything in my head. And then when I get... That's a great way to put yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. One of the songs in my first album, Natural Selection, the song number one in that, I wrote all the lyrics while standing in line waiting for a Disneyland ride with my family. All the lyrics in one line, standing in line, <laughs> just every single lyric I wrote in line on one take for that ride. <laughs> and it was done. It's crazy. And then other ones you work for months on the lyrics or the the vote and it just like it feels like torture. <laughs> totally, dude. That's what that's what's going on exactly right now. Really? Like I have three songs. The instrumentals are pretty much done for this new like I think I want to release like a little EP. And I I dude, I cannot write lyrics. I I can't sing it. I'm like, shoot, why didn't I play this with the capo? Like it's not good for my vocal range, like all kinds of stuff. So I, I really do struggle with lyrics. And so anyone listening, if, if you like my lyrics, no, I killed myself to write those. <laughs> Are you pretty happy now? Because that, that will kill your lyrical ability if you're in a happy phase in your life. Oh, dude. Yeah. I don't know. Like vocals are getting so tough for me. I don't, I don't know why. I probably just because I don't practice it as much because I'm, because I've been doing electronic stuff a lot lately and I'm not like playing a guitar and singing to it like I would with those first two albums. And so I've lost a little bit of like sharpness with, with lyrics and vocals. Um, yeah. But it's not a bad thing. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm getting really into like mixing and, and the electronic side of things. So I think I'm just going to start doing some cool stuff with vocals and just releasing something that's different, not stuff you hear that's like on the radio every day with like, you know, the same old vocal mix and just trying to yeah. do something different. Are you still that way where you think about music and gear when you're doing other things? Mm-hmm. Like, is it the, like it used to be when you go out and you're in social settings, you still do? No, not, not like it used to be. Definitely not like it used to be. You want to know why? Yeah. Because now I know a lot of the stuff I didn't know. It's almost like I'm at the point where it's like kind of hit a ceiling of like discovery of like what stuff does or like what knobs do or what this means or that means or like recording engineering stuff. I have it all down. And now it's just like practicing and like doing it so much to where it like becomes second nature to me that I know where to go to and grab what I need to to turn or whatever to get the sound I want. Yeah. Like, like for instance, massive right? Native Instruments Massive. Like if you pull up that, I mean, if you look at that thing and you're not a music person, you're gonna be like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Like it's going to look completely foreign to you, you know? Any synthesizer. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like I want to start getting into like module synthesis now too with the like chords and that kind of stuff. So there's still a lot to go, but I'm at a point where I'm not like really in discovery zone in my head anymore trying to figure stuff out. All right. Well, we're at the kind of rapid fire question section, the end of our our time. Cool. Let's do it. Uh, what's your favorite piece of gear right now? Uh, my fa- my two favorite, I got, I got two. Um, actually, two days ago, I, I pulled the trigger on a uh, Artcore AF75 Ibanez hollow body for the lineup. Nice. I'm getting that next week. A um, couple months ago, I bought the uh, Neumann TLM 103 for my vocals. Nice. So I want to do this next record on that mic. That's great. And then I just recently got the uh, Guild T-Bird. To, to completely answer your question, that's my, gu- that's my favorite piece of gear right now is the Guild T-Bird electric guitar. Nice. How many guitars do you have now? Uh, with the one coming next week, it'll be seven. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. I have a problem. <laughs> as do you. As do you. It could be worse. Yeah, dude. You showed me your uh, music gear guy, and now I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> now all my money's gonna be gone oh yeah see that's my problem is like i obsess on that stuff in my spare time still like just gear i don't know why yeah dude i'm like emailing delvin like all the time now hey dude can you send me this shout out to delvin at sweetwater yeah hooking us up with gear delvin at sweetwater my man so what artist or band living or dead would you like to sit in with if you could it's a cool question um i'd probably say thrice Okay. Huge fan. Huge fan of Thrice. Would you sit in sit in and play guitar? Sing? What? Um, I would love to sit in and play guitar. Like I'd love to replace the their like the um 
not the lead singer, but their other guitar player. Like if I could be that guy for a day, that'd be dope. So you want to steal steal another band? Mm-hmm. <laughs> worm, worm your way into another yeah. band. <laughs> All right, last question. So at this point, your goals have probably changed from where you were when you were that kid in the bar thinking about music gear. Mm-hmm. What do you want to achieve with your music now? Um, honestly, I just want to make sure I continue to be able to get my ideas out of my head so I don't go crazy. Um, because that's just what happens if I don't do music for like, if I didn't do music for a year, I just built, build up so much writing in my head and wireframes in my head for what I want to do. Um, so I, I'm not as like adamant of marketing it so much anymore, like spending all this money on marketing it. I think, I think people will come around one of these days, uh, and recognize the quality and, and just with word of mouth get it out there i know that's that's a far reach but it, it it's you know i'm married now probably gonna have a baby here pretty soon so it's it's slowly kind of reversing as far as a and b priorities um but yeah that's i mean my main goal is to just put out really different and new stuff to where people are like this is dope like this is different. It's not the same stuff I'm hearing on Spotify or all these new artists. Like that's my main goal. It's to just make really awesome new like electronic acoustic indie stuff. That's great, man. It's been a great great talk, man. Yeah. Time flies just just talking music with you. Thanks for Yeah, thanks for being on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. The sun is shining through my window, I can feel the morning air I hope that God can find some time to put me in a better situation Yeah, I've been waiting for my heart to repair itself From the source of you've inflicted and affected every move